Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to Hope and Patience. It's me, Amelia Rope, ex-chocolate creator, now podcast creator and your host. If you're new to Hope and Patience, it's great to have you here. A huge hello and thank you. We're going to be exploring delving into the stories of founders and dipping into piles of wisdom from wellbeing experts. It's about discovery. The guests will be inspirational and the precious insights shared guaranteed to be absolute gems. So today my guest is Amma Clark, who is founder of the award-winning Lococo Chocolate, which she set up in 2015. She is the first London Bean to Bar producer, from what I gather self-taught, but we'll explore that a little bit later on. And she makes chocolate bars using coconut sugar instead of refined sugar and lacuma, which is a superfood. We are really lucky to have nabbed her because she has just moved factories and she's in between moving equipment from one to the next and setting up and everything else. And that is exhausting. So I would love to say a huge hello to Amma and welcome to Hope and Patience. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, Amma, what we would all love to know is in the shows we explore catalysts and really sort of whether it's a person or a place or a thing that sort of propels you on the path to doing what you're doing. And you clearly are a pioneer. You're an inspirational woman. And we would love to know what was that catalyst that that got you from what you were doing in your past, which I think was tech, but I don't really know, engineering or something, into producing goods using the most temperamental ingredient you can ever find um it's quite interesting because there's kind of my there's two routes for me to answer that question and they're both they're both valid so the first one was I was a really keen runner and I was part of a running crew called Run Dem Crew and we would run half marathons around the world. We'd go to Berlin and everyone get really excited for the weekend. We'd go to Paris. And then I decided I was going to up my game and run a full marathon in San Francisco. San Francisco, a women's marathon where... The Do you med- have the hills in San Fran? Yeah. yeah wow. Massive hills. But the reward was a Tiffany necklace. Wow. Hey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which was high, which handed to you um, by these... Um, firefighters with no top on I have no idea why you want to see <laughs> after running like four hours but it was a San Francisco women's marathon and I and I trained really hard for that with a group of my friends and we all went over there and it was, it was great but when I came back I had a problem with my foot and I went from running being able to run 26 miles to not even being able to run one so I went to go and get my foot checked out but I was feeling quite down about it and um, my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband now, said, well, why don't you try boxing? And I was like, hmm? And he's he's in that in that world anyway. So I was like, right, okay, um, closest, Google, closest um, boxing club, Islington Boxing Club, how many miles were there? Right, okay. And he's like, just go in there and just get involved. So I was like, <laughs> so one Saturday I went down and I, and I kind of fell in love with um, 
doing of, of boxing. And then um so that was like 2013. Um but at the same time, when you're when you're running and when you're boxing, you have to really kind of look at your nutrition. So one of the things I really was looking at was around how food can kind of really elevate you in terms of your performance and stuff. And I'm I'm a I love a snack. So and I love chocolate. So I was I was really keen to try and change look at things like chocolate and look at the food that I was eating. So I did this nutrition course. It was online, not to be a nutritionist, but just to, for my own my own sake. And then I started digging deeper into chocolate, thinking, oh my gosh, they're lying to us. They're lying to us. What is all this? <laughs> and so I so then I started doing some more research and then I was then it, a light bulb moment came and it was like if you chocolate is just like wine and coffee and if you want to buy expensive wine you can either probably go to some good supermarkets go to some good independent shops and if you what if you were like me when I was at uni and you want to do the kind of percentage versus price ratio <laughs> and then and then buy that cheapest bottle you can do that that's possible you go to like a corner shop or even a supermarket or somewhere you you can do that and you can do that with coffee there's like we've got so many amazing coffee shops these days and you can just buy some something off the shelf as well but if chocolate is like wine and coffee why do we just stick in the middle and towards the bottom end of chocolate so i started doing some more research on that and then it it kind of came to me that there's this whole world called bean to bar chocolate which is high in chocolate. We understand who's making those beans, who's who's growing those beans. We understand the farms and we can make a better quality chocolate bar and really promote the flavours. So we're in this rut now where um, we say with chocolate that dark chocolate should be bitter, dark, chocolate, dark chocolate's bitter, milk chocolate's too sweet and white chocolate isn't chocolate at all. And all of that is a lie. <laughs> so... Whereas you've got the stuff on the higher end of the market where you don't need all the flavours and you need to put all that stuff in it. The bean flavours the chocolate. So I was like, well, someone's got to do something about this. Um, maybe it should be me. And so I decided to do these experiments. My poor friends tried them and they still won't ever let me go on some of the first batches that I made um and then I started giving that was it... just small equipment at home the, the yeah. initial batches yeah so the the small equipment at home was kind of like an Indian tabletop grinder spice grinder um I had to, we roasted the beans in the oven and we crushed it with this pestle and mortar which was a really big wood um rolling pin and a pot <laughs> that was our best of all. And then hair dried the shells off and then put them inside this um, tabletop grinder and it went round and we were... And my background, my background is um, computer science and engineering, but it's also kind of politics. So you kind of... I've got this kind of mismatch of a background. So for me to try and solve the problem of how to make a chocolate bar was quite exciting because it's what percentage should be in that bar of cocoa, how much sugar and all that. And all of that stuff was just really kind of spoke to me so I just had a go and, and what about the technicalities because it's not I mean Amma is not not really p putting 
the listener, you listeners in a, in the big picture because it's it's complicated yeah. and it and it depends on a lot of processes and yeah. it's from the growing of the bean yeah. to the harvesting to the yeah. fermenting to the drying mm-hmm. and then Amma, I'm presuming, is doing the roasting. Yeah. And if you get the roasting, each batch is probably going to be different. So yeah. one roasting temperature is going to be different when you get the next lot in. I yeah. mean, it's it is extremely technical. Do you think that one of the challenges is uh, with getting the beans is maintaining the quality or do you go out to the farmers with people potentially pinch so competitors potentially getting the beans or outpricing you with the farmers and then you know just checking on the whole processes when you're over here and they're over there is to whether they are growing really good quality plants and looking after them really so part of that was um when i was looking for what beans to get initially it was looking at the states and in america there was a a booming bean to bar industry like some kind of sector that was setting up and some of the loudest voices were kind of using the same beans and i tried to follow the trail round so then i started contacting those farms and they said well, do you know what we would we wouldn't sell to, we could sell to you but um, we're too small, so how about trying to go to these people? And at that moment in time, a company called Taza Chocolate in, in the US had just set up a kind of trading arm where they were selling beans to people. Um, and that company um, is not no longer part of them and is now called Uncommon Cacao. But what they did was help set up these farms in Belize and help set up farms in Guatemala and then started selling the beans on behalf of the um, the farmers and then starting to bring different origins in. And one of the reasons why I started, um, I stayed with those because I was working full time. But I was one. I was one hundred percent sure that I needed to do this, and I had to do it properly. Um, so I, so knowing that there was no children on the farm, knowing the quality of the bean, and knowing how how well it was grown, knowing how many harvests, how many women on the farm was even quite important to me. How many children were going to school, and the price that we paid for it, and how much higher than fair trade. All of those things kind of came into account when it came to picking those beans. So I started using those because it helped me with my due diligence because I couldn't take time off work to go and um go around farms and find those so um so I started um working with with this kind of like trading arm um so that's who, that's who you buy from yeah. and presumably the trading arm understand your quality that you specify yeah. and yeah. test for because there's another danger that I'm sure the listeners won't be aware of is the heavy metal testing yeah. and I know when I was using Colombian beans uh, there was an instance where it was very unfortunate but there was a lot of heavy metals in the soil of one particular region yeah. and the laws changed of how much I think it was cadmium or lead one of them yeah. was was allowed in and so they had to change it and they had to produce milk chocolate out of it instead of dark chocolate and some of it was yeah in the soil some of it was um had had sort of come through the rivers I mean it's just it was just a very unfortunate thing and mining and stuff like that so yeah I think you've for me I've always got to do my own tests on it because you because um you can always take what someone says but then you have to kind of allow like prove that yourself um and so uh, when I make when I made those first batches, they all went off to testing themselves. And so that they all came back fine as well. So I knew that the beans were okay, even though it had said what they were. Um, so, yeah, so I just kind of had to teach myself how to import cacao and stuff like that. So learning on the hoof, a lot of learning on the hoof. Oh, 
yeah, everything down to making it, yeah, yeah and trial and error. Um, it was interesting. It's um, what I, the chocolate show that I launched at six months before I'd been to um, as just to visit it because I had this idea that I want to do it and it's a chocolate show. And I met this guy called Duffy who happens to be the second chocolate maker in the UK and he was great. He gave, in a, you know what trade shows like and for somebody, for a, a person that owns a business to take 30 minutes and talk to you in the middle of all that traffic and all those questions. Yeah, it's massive. It's it's crazy, but he, he did it. And he his opinion was, do you know what? The more people that are doing bean to bar, the better, because we're starting to get the narrative out there that this is the true face of chocolate. So that was quite inspiring for me. So um, that's kind of why I was like, right, I've got to learn how to import this stuff. I've got to learn how to do that. Where am I going to get my ingredients from? And then... Start, start like trying to work out how I was going to do this and I remember I had this moment where I was buying like 10 kilo sacks at a time and my husband said well I think you're gonna have to buy the go in for it and get the big sacks which is when I started um um trying to work out where to get the beans from and then all of a sudden I had a quarter of a ton of cacao beans in her House in, flat. in her flat. She had a one yeah. bedroom flat. For, one bedroom flat in and North loaded London. with beans. Yeah. <laughs> so with the um, factory, you're obviously scaling the business up, which is exciting, but I'd imagine terrifying as well. Are you scaling it up with staff? Are you scaling it up? You know, you're going to have to sell loads more to fund the the factory. What are the challenges that you? I mean, you've only just moved, but you feel might come your way or, you know, problems that you're going to have to find solutions for? Quite a lot. So, yeah, I'm scaling up and I've got one member of staff now who works three days a week. Not your husband? No. You know, <laughs> he's not part of the business anymore. He he lasted six months. Sacked. <laughs> <laughs> no, walked away willingly. Um, but, yeah, I've got one member of staff now um, scaling up. And yeah, that does mean that I have to sell a hot hell of a lot more bars. But having somebody else there just even three days a week is 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 quite a relief because I was doing a hundred percent of the making, hundred percent of the selling, hundred percent of the accounts, hundred percent of everything, hundred percent of the delivery, and all of those de- like everything was 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 me. And so having somebody else to kind of take the edge off it is great. Um, but there's there's I I started looking for investment before I got this place and what kind of led me to kind of doing it by myself was that over the year there was some really interesting things that happened in terms of like the way people said no the way they spoke to you in the meeting and you shouldn't be discouraged by these things but then people that got quite interested things happened to them and then it ultimately didn't happen and I had reached capacity in 2018 um, from my outhouse in the back of my garden and I knew that I couldn't plateau for a long time so I said if I plateau then you start to go backwards so I had to do something so I think November time I said I've got to try and do it myself and see where see where this goes well done. I mean, it takes huge. It takes huge guts, massive guts to do what you're so doing. And <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, it's something that if it's in your bloodstream, it used to be in my bloodstream, but now podcasts are. But if it's in yeah. your bloodstream, there'll be something that gets you out of bed, and yeah. we will cover that sort of um, later on. But just a couple of things that I wanted to touch on, which um, I think the listeners might be interested to hear more of. With the health trends, there is this big blitz on sugar as the devil. Um, 
I'm afraid to say that I will always have chocolate, uh, well, chocolate, I'll always have sugar in my day because that's just me. But mm. I try to have quality rather than quantity. Yeah. I slip at times. What? How do you think it's going to affect you? And, and how do you think it's going to affect the industry, which is a broader question, with this, with this sort of momentum that people are really aware of sugar? Mm. Well, looking at quite a lot of the research, especially the Mintel research, it shows that um, people are really health, not really, really health conscious, but more people are starting to understand what they're eating. And sugar is a big one. And the government has put a, um, a notice on the chocolate confectionery world saying, by 2020, you have to reduce the ch sugar in your chocolate by 20%. And what will that happen? We don't really know, but there's ways of people getting around that by make, by doing something called shrinkflation, which means that the price of the bar tends to stay the same, but the size gets goes down quite a bit. So you're reducing sugar in some way. So, um, Do you but, think the upper end will be protected, though? Premium chocolate, well, or premium is, is used massively, but you know what mm -hmm. I mean? In your sort of world, do you think that the government will allow for sort of artisanal chocolate? Well, I think that... I think that we should have it across the whole board. I think that what kind of doesn't kind of separate bean to bar because bean to bar chocolate makers will make chocolate with a lot of sugar in it if they make like a, a milk chocolate that's like 30% or 40% or something like that. So, but we tend to stay on the higher end of bars because we want you to taste the bean. And so we want to hit, take, want you to taste the flavour of the chocolate. And whilst we're not all ready to eat 100% chocolate, there are makers that do make 100% chocolate, but this, the sugar kind of puts the edge on it. But that's one of the reasons why I decided that I didn't want to put white refined sugar in, in my chocolate bars because I find that um, it wasn't something that I was really happy with in the first place back in 2015. Do you think with um, coconut sugar it can mask the flavour of the bean at all because it's quite a strong sort of caramelly taste isn't it how do yeah. you um cope with that in your in your bars so in my 50% milk bar and in my white chocolate bar um I kind of embrace it um in a dark chocolate bars um you can't really taste it because I through my trial and error I have tried to that's why one of the reasons why I add the lacuma in there because it kind of takes the edge off the coconut sugar, but still sweetens the bar. And that's a natural sweetener. It's a natural. It's a fruit yeah. from Peru. Um, it's kind of bready and it looks a bit like a mango, and the inside looks like an avocado. No, looks the outside looks like an avocado, and the inside looks like a mango. Um, but it's but that's kind of takes the edge off of it. But in the in the fifty percent milk chocolate and the um, forty percent white chocolate, I kind of embrace the caramelly flavours. It's wonderful symbiosis to have the um, lacuma in it being from South America. I I, I just love those whole tie-ins because to me it's a very natural marriage as such. Mm. Is um the the word sustainability is massive in in the chocolate industry and it's it's it is to do a lot is to do with the cocoa farmers. There's climate change and then um the some of the younger generation head off, or certainly we found that in Colombia, where they were heading off to the cities where they got more money or they wanted their mobile and their Wi-Fi signals and stuff like that. How do you feel that, that the industry is going to cope on the sustainability side of it? Um, I think it's a really big challenge. Um, and like you said, the, the issues in countries that people are time tending to move away from these. But I think... If you're paying somebody the right price for their product 
it gives them the inspiration. It it gives them the um, the want to carry on. For so long in the chocolate industry, we've paid people what we called a fair trade price, and that is decided by somebody on how much somebody should be paid. And that's not actually that fair. So you can understand why people start to move away from that. We're paying like a proper wage for them, a proper fee for those beans. So it's it's about paying people properly for what they're doing and therefore investing as well in a lot of the technology that helps them build a better farm. So, But then also at the same time, when you talk about sustainability, I've got to kind of hang my head in shame because I got a delivery of a tonne of cacao yesterday it's got british airways written on the front of it partly because i had to get in quite quickly um and so they're things that as my business grows that i've got to really get hold of and say how are we going to get these beans from the u.s um from south america from europe how are we going to get those here in a better way and it's no it's it's always something that's always played on my mind because um I know the argument of all oh, that flight's taken off anyway, but did, it, there's always a better way to do stuff. I know Mott from the Grenada Chocolate Company, he sailed, didn't he? I mean, tragically, mm. he, he passed away, yeah. but he sailed uh, beans across, didn't he, mm. in a boat. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously that's that's not going to be... Co- well, at this stage in the game, it's not cost-effective to, yeah. to sort of sail across the, it's the not, beans. But it's not... It's, n- in, in, it's the time. It's the time. Because at the moment, I'm kind of like a just-in-time business. Yeah. Like, if something... Because of cash flow and because of the other problems, not problems, but challenges within the business, you have to try and... Um, work out, okay, if I buy those beads, it'd be here in three weeks or it'd be here in two weeks. It's difficult. Yeah. Because if you get a big order coming in, you need stuff like that. And it's, you know, and the point is that nobody can really, well, I say this, when I got big orders, even if I thought, my goodness, how am I going to do this? I always said yes. And then pedaled very (laughs) fast in the background thinking, quick, how am I going to get all this stuff? Because in the... It's just an industry that if you don't take the business, someone else will very quickly pick yeah, it up. Exactly. And um, it's, I think it, potentially it's more, your um, aspect is, is more friendly and camarad- there's more camaraderie than um, our, um, than the side that I was involved in. I'm not sure. Do you, so the greatest challenge that you face had so far what would you say that is and how did you um what did you learn from it um I think I just face different challenges every day um I guess the biggest challenge at the moment and I I guess the the biggest challenge always seems to be like the the one that's most recent for me is just moving into this new premises um which is much bigger than I've um, been in before in second bedrooms and outhouses and now I'm in a in a railway arch in Bermondsey which is pretty big um, so that's the biggest challenge at the moment is how to um, how to make that work and stay in business at the same time but previous challenges was who's going to buy this chocolate and um, how am I going to make it because one I used to work for UNICEF and I used to be a project manager there where I used to run quite a lot of their big projects which was asking to bring in 10% of their overall income which is a hell of a lot of money so 
I would deliver in the morning at six o'clock, get a load of orders while I'm at my desk, can't do anything, <laughs> get home at like six or seven o'clock and then run into the spare room and start making chocolate. And so, and then repeat, 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 repeat. And it was, it was really bad for me, but it, it, it was the only way that I, I felt that the business could survive because I couldn't quit my job. Um, so I think for, um, the the biggest challenges was how to keep the business alive when I was working full time, and then um, I kind of stopped stopped working because the the business had grown quite a bit. And then I guess that's how I. It's tough. It is. It is really tough. But you know, if you, from my where I'm standing, looking at how you've grown, it's your challenges have been your achievements. Yeah. In a in a way. Yeah. So moving on to um, a bit of how what makes you tick. Because I'm sort of fascinated about what people, what makes people tick. I think I get it from my dad. Would you say that you're a morning person or an afternoon person? And with your decision making, if are they better if you're a morning person? They're made in the morning, or if the after, if you're an afternoon night bird, are they better made at that time of day, um, night? I'm an afternoon night person. So once I'm up, I can. Um, it takes me a little bit of time to get going. But because the world doesn't stop, I've had to adapt to being a morning person as well. Um, but once I I know I'm a workaholic, that I know I'm 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 very good at identifying what I what my issues are. Um, and so for me, decisions are best made, I guess, in the evening. Um, but then, to be honest with you, they have to be made at any time of the day. <laughs> Yeah, there's sometimes there's no time to really think about them. No. How do you sustain your motivation? What keeps you going? Um, I think customer feedback um, kind of keeps going because when you're when you're doing 100 percent of everything by yourself, you all you know is that people are reordering and people are eating it, um, and you don't ever hear about that. Having customer feedback really does kind of push you on. But then having a really good kind of um, um, support network as well. And I've just recently joined um, a group. We call ourselves M Squared. It's kind of a, a group of female founders. And we kind of, um, it, it, was, it was it was a revolution. It was a revelation for me to be part of that group because I was like, oh, everyone's having the same problem as me, no matter how big or small they are. Um, so it was really interesting because you can kind of fire out a question on a WhatsApp group and everybody will answer back with their kind of like, um, their kind of answer on it or their take on it, which is good. So having a good support network. It's very refreshing, isn't it? Yeah. Knowing, because I, I know when I was doing it on, on my own and social media really hadn't started, there wasn't WhatsApp. And I think Twitter had almost not started and stuff like that. And I just kept thinking, why am I getting this so wrong? It's just me. I'm hopeless. And then once you started getting out and about, you'd realise that actually everybody has it. And as you said, yeah. you could be turning over 20 million Angus Hotel Chocolat could be still having yeah. big problems at his exactly. size yeah. that we had in in our smaller baby size. Mm. So that that potentially answers what bolsters your resilience or who do you do you think that WhatsApp group is 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 sort of bolstering your resilience? There there must be other things as well that that yeah, like family. Um, my husband is is he's one of the most confident and intelligent people I've ever met. Um, but he and it, there's no but, but he um, is really good at just being really confident and really saying, go and get it, go and get it. And 
even this move, I'm like, oh, oh my God, we've just taken on a factory. And then he's just, it's going to be fine, just do it. He's very much relaxed about a lot of things, but still understands what the issues are. Um, and I'm the other end of the scale. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh, what happens if no one buys a chocolate anymore? Um, and so having him is really, really good because he's quite calm, confident, and kind of, it kind of, it's kind of sort of yin yang. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So um, I talk, and I mention this on most of my podcasts about my hard inner critic and I, and I I still have an inner critic because remember I'm in a startup with a mm. podcast and mm. you know I listen to my voice and think my goodness I sound appalling and why do I keep saying so and this that and the other um what what I keep saying to my lovely producer sitting there patiently can you please edit this out and that out and everything else um most gets left in I have to say mm. um so your inner critic what mm. do you have one and how do you keep it at bay yeah I've, I've definitely got one um Minor critic um, is I'm in a fine chocolate world, um, high end stuff. I'm I'm a black woman from East London, <laughs> born and raised in Poplar, um, and so trying to get into the world and then trying to stay afloat in that world and then trying to navigate it as well uh, is quite daunting and not always so friendly. Um, but at the same time, um, you've got to try that support network kind of tells you, no, keep going. And then you can kind of put it to bed. But it is it's a very interesting it's it's quite interesting and it kind of raises it kind of comes alive every time there's a quite big crossroad. Um but once I've kind of jumped over that hurdle it's fine. And then it comes back. It goes, but you're just this girl from the East End of London. Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? And and so it kind of just, yeah, it rears its head and then... Um, Do you answer it, it back saying, so what? I'm worth what I'm doing. Yeah. And really that is my past and that, that's the trigger to... to push me on to get to where I'm at. Yeah, it, it yeah, I, I do. But in in the environment I was brought up in, be that environmental environmental being from Poplar or um culturally from a Nigerian Igbo family, you had no option but to succeed. So you you have to keep Okay, you so they really it's really driven. Yeah, you you yeah, you have to be driven. Are yeah. your parents quite I mean they're you're they're alive, your parents, yeah. are they? So are they quite driven too? Are yeah. they Yeah. My parents are typical Nigerian Igbo parents that um um it's all about education and all about driving you forward and we came to this country for you to be better than us. Those sorts of things. My parents actually live two streets behind me, actually. <laughs> so they're watching you. So they're, they're high achievers with themselves yeah. or more with their children? Both. Like, they've, 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 I've, I think that they've done well raising four kids and um, we're, all, we're all kind of in our separate world. So, like, my, my background was kind of like tech. My little brother um, is well, he was a pharmacist, decided he doesn't want to do it anymore. Now he's going to be a medical doctor and he's just finishing that now. My sister works in the NHS and my younger sister, um, she's works at a, one of these big audit places um, in, in Canary Wharf. So I think they've done well with us in trying of pushing us and kind of like, it doesn't matter what the environment you're in, you have to always learn how to swim in it and then kind of get away. So that's, but you can't kind of get a, you can't ignore that that's where you're from and that what the perception is of being from there and it is hard but 
you have to, like I said, it's that support network that kind of gets you out of it. And like you don't have that option to fail. So you have to just keep going. It's really sad that society has been like that. And I really hope for everybody's sake it's mm. changed. I mean, I think it is changing, but it is, I hate that sort of judgmental um, side of, of people. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, and as a country. So I hope that that we keep on going in the, in the positive direction that we're all moving in and we work together and we don't label and judge and all this sort of pre is it preconceptions I'm not sure of people so um I think it's probably about time to have the chocolate break oh great and why I'm really excited is that we have got a seriously classy bar. We have. We have, um, which was suggested by our lovely chocolate lady, Emma. It's Duffy's 55% Milk Gold Academy of Chocolate winner, Venezuelan. Uh, and it's using the Criolla cocoa beans that we've talked about in the episode with Johnny Bilby when we had some Amade, I think. Um, so let's just tuck in. And while we're tucking in, you've told us a bit about Duffy, who was involved in the most racing world, I think, mm. for some time, sort of 25 Still years. Is. Still is. <laughs> is he? He's the I'm most incredible sure is, yeah. guy, Duffy. Yeah. I, I don't know him particularly well, but I really I really like him. And I love his Honduras bar. Yeah. Oh, makes me go weak at the knees. So while I'm opening this up, can you tell me why you selected this bar of chocolate? Um, so partly the person and partly the bar. Um, so Duffy's one of those people that I can send an email to and I did send one to him last week and he gets back to you really quickly and just kind of answers the question that you have um but this bar I think this was one of the first I tried of his bars um and I was just blown away and I was like right okay my job is to try and make chocolate as good as this <laughs> right I'm taking a piece of that as I pass it across thank you oh gosh okay so we're gonna head on in to um Two words that I think are um, important. Well, important in life. Two words that are, are interesting to hear people's thoughts on. The first is success, and the second is failure. So, what are your? What do those words mean to you? Um, in my context, success is um, just moving from one place to another. In terms of like. You've had an idea and you've just implemented it. It doesn't matter how big or small it is, to be honest with you. It's just just making that first... Turning the engine on is success. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens after that is part of the journey. But just turning that on, um, and as scary as it is, success is just kind of like feeling your, your way through it. And, and it, what about failure? Um... I'm going to nick some more chocolate oh, while you're yeah. chatting about failure. It is, good, isn't it? it is absolutely delicious. The end note is yeah. perfection. <laughs> Duffy makes good chocolate. <laughs> right, carry um, on. You think but, about failure. Yeah, I'll keep but on eating. With, with failure, I, 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 it's, I, I guess it's getting cliche these days not to say use that word and um, use something like learning. Um, I, I'm one of these people that are kind of like risk averse. Understand that risk needs to be take taken in order to get a reward. So I think just doing something and it may fail, or you might learn something from it. Because I just never think that you, I just think that you can take quite a lot of learning from um, things that don't go so well, rather than saying you've failed. But then at the same time, I always think about failing fast. So if you can see something getting getting closer to a cliff, stop, reevaluate, 
go back and then try and start, see if you can change that and move it into a different direction. But I, I, I always think that you have to learn from your failures. So true. Now, well-being is a really important thing for us founders yeah. and often something we neglect. How am I sneaking another piece of chocolate? The producer's twitchy about the time. Amma, how do you um how does stress affect you and where does it affect you first of all? Um stress I, I in fact, you know what? Um I went I, I go boxing at six o'clock in the morning. Every day? Not every day, most days. Yeah. <laughs> um and I went today with another founder actually. Um, I was like, you've got to come, you've got to come. And she came this morning at six o'clock. And one of the trainers there, who's been a friend of mine for quite a long time when I first started, um, she went, I'm just worried about your stress levels. And nobody's really said that to me before. And she could see it in my face because usually I'm com- I come in and I'm ready to go. This session, I was like, I'm really tired. I just can't I can feel it. Fall asleep now. Um, but it was... Um, so I think that... Um, can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> I was asking about stress and how it affected you, where it affected you. Um, it kind of it it affects me because I just get quite ang- anxious, um, and yeah, I, I get quite anxious about things, um, and I tend to really kind of focus in on one kind of small thing, and it and I'm quite self aware. So if I know I'm focusing on something that's quite minor then I know that there's an issue. So I kind of try and manage that by going boxing or doing something like that um, because that's that helps. And I remember when I was at this tech startup, um, one of the founders there told me to download this game and it and I never really played games on my phone because I thought it was a waste of time. But it kind of takes your mind off everything and then you can... and it, it was like a, a game where you had to put squares in a line. It was like Tetris. But um, so is that what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I play. How old are you? You're probably a spring chicken, aren't you? No, I'm 36. Okay. Well, she. I have to say to everybody, when you see the photo, she looks amazing. She is oozing health. You wouldn't think there was stress in her system. Yeah. But yeah. but there's, often there's it a... can be hidden away. Do you have a daily ritual at all for for looking after yourself? Is there maybe a um, something you do in the morning? You know, or no. evening or no, no. I, I don't. But I know when I get really stressed, the one thing I do do, there's, I, I listen to certain certain music, um, which kind of changes. Oh, who? Do share with us. Who? So, since 2010, I have listened to Luther Vandross live at Radio City. It was his last concert he did. And if I ever feel an ounce of stress, or even if I'm on a plane, I listen to that album. And I've never seen anything kind of just change my mood and change my direction as quickly as that. The first song is like seven minutes long. And one, I tend to be really productive throughout that whole album. Two, that one, the first song, tends to um, calm me down. And I've I've never seen... And I've, I've recommended it to other people, but I think that these sorts of things are quite personal. Yeah, there's always... There is this sort of yeah. nostalgic thing where you listen to something and it takes you back. Well, not always, but it can take you back to something yeah. that you that you have good times with. How do you sleep at night? And if you don't sleep, what do you do? Do you get up and pound around or...? No, well, I've had insomnia since I was a kid. And I remember going to the doctors about it and he said, well, you should listen to the radio really low, like Radio 4. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. Um, so I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really sleep, but I'm getting better at it, actually. Um, because I 
um, since January, my husband's come back and he's come on. He's gone on this wellness adventure. <laughs> Good. <laughs> since Sounds January. as if you need someone to be yeah. taking you on a wellness. And adventure. so he's like, phones out of the room, out of the bedroom. Brilliant. Um, he meditates every day. I've still got to catch up with that one, even though I did an eight-week meditation course. Um, then he's kind of like the food and the colour of the foods that we eat and all these sorts of things. So he's kind of like in charge of the welfare <laughs> and the, the kind of well-being. But, um, yeah, but I've always had insomnia and I kind of know that I can I can function on the amount of sleep that I have, but um, sometimes I just need to just crash. So I've kind of just dealt with it in that way. <laughs> just be careful from a person who's had yeah. burnout that you don't go to that point i i know your mm. husband i i don't know your husband but i know your husband from what you're saying would wouldn't let you oh, no. go to that point no. but no, it no, is no. it's that thing where you can have so much adrenaline i remember with with yeah. the business of having so much adrenaline and all of a sudden it went and you know my autoimmune z yeah. uh, uh crashed and stuff like that and it's and the thing is that you don't I don't think you ever allow yourself to go into that mode no, again. I'm no. really precious now about yeah, the yeah. habits that I sort of keep. Um, do you have a favourite hideaway where you go to with Andy or go on your own where you just get a bit of R&R? Um, I think since since I've met Andy, um, his, par his parents have moved from um, Chester down to Suffolk. Oh, whereabouts? East Bergholt. Oh, that's really close to my parents. It's really lovely down there. Yeah. yeah Constable uh, country, Constable isn't country, it? yeah. And so um, every time we go there, and um, we try and go more often as well, because they're not, they're not so far from us since we've moved to east, further east London, um, it's, it's so quiet. It's so peaceful. There's no, there's no street lamps at night. And they have to walk down the streets with um, torches. Um, which I find is crazy, but it works actually because you just get it's blacked out, and it's quiet. You get woken up by some cows in the back. I was going to say cows. You get plenty of yeah. those. But it's 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 one of the best places where you go to where we can go to relax and chill out and not and not have the London noise and um, the kind of like twenty four seven. Oh yeah, London. just people just barging or. Bit like moving around, and even though this is a city that I was born and brought up in, like there's only so many times you can bang your head on the wall and go, "Oh, right, okay, so I'm going to be fine." You you need to escape. Yeah, you do, and that's that's a really good place for us to go. Can you, um, as um, you know, I'm sure my podcast is named after my two grannies, Hope and Patience. I'm still struggling with Patience, I have to say. <laughs> but um, can you? share with the listeners a time where you've had to have a dollop load of hope and also remember the words word patience um, um I, I've, everything's so kind of like in my face at the moment so hope is now <laughs> like hoping that this factory hope, hoping that this factory works out um it will do. It will do. It, <laughs> it will. will. Do. It will. It will. So that's my dollop load of hope more than I've had before. Um, and patience. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really a patient person. But I have. Um, I have got better. Partly because my husband is really patient. Um, You're very lucky to have found him. Yeah, I think I am actually. You are. <laughs> I'm telling you, you are. So but, sorry. Back on the patient. So he's he, patient. So he's really patient. So because sometimes I. An email will come in or someone will say something and I'm like, right, got to deal with that now. And he's like, but why do you really need to? Or I've got to sort all this stuff out 
but why? Just be patient. Or what happens if this doesn't happen? And that is because we're making stuff up now. <laughs> so I, tr- I tend to make up scenarios in my head and I'm like, no, I've got to try and get ahead of the curve, ahead of the curve. Because my I also... So being a project manager, you're always trying to deal with risk, deal with dependencies, deal with all this sort of stuff and have all these things um, juggling at the same time. Um, but then you think, well, just chill out a little bit. So he helps <laughs> remove the urgency of yeah. things. I mean, I certainly have made some duff decisions on that chimp brain where you just, you get an email in and you, I I try not to do it anymore, but in my past I have where you react and you send one back and then you, and then you think about it today and you think, yeah, yeah. and you think, well, I'm I'm less, I'm less fussed about it now, but it is that initial thing. So would you, um, the the website is lacococochocolate.com where you can get loads of Amma's yummy chocolate there is a bar that she has got hidden yeah. away but she hasn't opened it up and she's do you want got... to try it i sure um, do it's the website i say is and up can you while we're, while we're opening that can you tell us where we can buy your lovely chocolate if you've got anything new coming out listen to Ooh. that rustle of the fire yeah, what are we trying already we're trying 50 percent milk wow so thin it's beautiful i love it when the bars are really thin I would think you really get that flavour mm-hmm. coming through. So you can buy it from Whole Foods. You can buy it um, from Nobu Hotel, Ace Hotel. Um, you can buy it from Origin Yum. Coffee. Which um, is that one? 50% milk. There you go, 50% milk, guys. Get it. Um, so Origin Coffee, um, Royal Press. Royal Press. Well, Royal Press, um, if you go to Planet Organic, a lot of, a lot of the Royal Press snacks are made from um, chocolate that I've either made for them or we've created together. Um, so you can get a lot of their snacks. Um, oh, it has your chocolate Organic. in it. Yeah. So, um, do, you do, do you sell drinking chocolate as well? Yeah, I make a hot chocolate. which Because there is. There's over there, I can see yeah. a spoon <laughs> and loads of hot chocolate. Yeah. Shavings. <laughs> and for a chocolate person, this is just best show so sorry carry on i keep interrupting yeah press coffee which is in victoria fleet street and like lots of other places you could get it from yeah origin coffee do you which is sell in we Road. have a few listeners who are mm. in the u.s and uae and places like that do you send um internationally yes great yes so um i would like to um sign off the show with the book which is um, a chocolate book because it had to run with the chocolate theme. It's called Chocolate Nations, Living and Dying for Cocoa in West Africa. It's written by Orla Ryan. It's it's a few years old, but I think you can still get it. Mm. Orla went to live in Ghana as a journalist for Reuters to cover the country and its cocoa trade for their general and financial services. And what she unrooted there is really a compelling read. Now, I'm sure it's changed a lot, but it still doesn't matter. Read it. It's, it will take you into the zone so that mm. you understand a bit more about the industry and the challenges. The quote has to be a chocolate quote, too. It's by my favourite, I don't know, Snoopy and um, Peanut, whether you were into them. You're, you're too young, probably. I'm not, I uh, remember that. <laughs> but the quote is, all you need is love but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say a huge thank you to the fantastic Amma. She is an incredible woman. Her chocolate is divine. And I'm just so pleased that I could get you on the show. I really appreciate that you've left a factory (laughs) with machines needing sorting and beans coming in and everything else. But um, thank you so, so much, Amma. It's been a real treat. Thank you. So thank you all so much for finding hope and patience. 
I'll be back with another story soon, so make sure you subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you like what you hear, feel free to give us a positive rating, subscribe and spread the word. I'd also love to know what you'd like to hear more of, less of, and importantly too, none of. Just let me know again via the website. So until the next time, keep that sparkle. Bye. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk or find Amelia on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hope and Pat. <laughs>